John 15, once again, and we're talking about assurance of salvation. We're asking that question, can I, as a young believer, have assurance of salvation? Can a young person uh, pursue assurance of salvation? Or is this kind of an old man's game, an old woman's game? And so here we are in John 15. John 15 is a a favorite passage of many. It, It is this metaphor of Jesus being the vine and us being the branches. And last week, of course, we talked about one thing that we can learn from this message. And and today we're going to look at maybe two or three more things that we can learn from this picture about assurance. So let's read the passage and then we'll pray and then we'll get into what we can learn about assurance from this passage. Jesus says this in John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you Abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away. He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words... Abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray really quick. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for this passage um, that teaches us so many precious things. So many precious things. And we pray that you would um, show us wonderful things about how assurance happens as we seek to live lives that honor and obey you. We pray all this in in Jesus' name. Um, seeking, seeking power and strength to do this, for we know that he wants us to understand where assurance comes from and how we get it. We pray this all in his name. Amen. So let's look at some lessons we have about assurance from this passage. And for those of you that were here last week or weren't here last week, don't worry about it. I'm going to give you last week's point once again in its entirety. No, I'm joking, because it took the entire sermon to do it. But I'll give it to you really fast. Uh, the first thing we learned about assurance from this passage, you will remember, is you must be rightly positioned. You must be rightly positioned. This is what Jesus talks about right out of the gates. He says, I am the vine. My father is the vine dress, dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may Give, bear, more fruit. And, and remember, remember what we talked about, right? Branches, we are, we are described as branches, and branches have a singular, simple purpose. It's not to look cute. It's not to hold Christmas lights. 
It's not to be defined as a branch. No, the purpose of a branch is to what? Bear fruit. This is significant to, to the point which Jesus says, look, if there's branches that aren't bearing fruit, they're removed. They're worthless branches. They're absolutely worthless branches. You, in Christ Jesus, have a singular purpose as well, and that is to bear fruit. Bear fruit. And, and maybe we see here a picture of Christians that are Christians in name only, but actually, in reality, their, their, their lives don't show anything about that truth, right? They, they're not bearing fruit. There's, there's no obedience in their life. There's no humility in their life. There's no transformation in their life. There's no sanctification in their life. There's no Christ-likeness in their life. They don't stand out in the world. The world is not offended by them because the world does not see Christ-likeness in them. They're not bearing fruit. And, and those Christians are Christians in name only, and they are removed, Jesus says, because Jesus only wants branches in him that bear fruit. And you, you, could, say, you could say it also like this. This is what we saw, right? To be a Christian is to be uh, designated for fruitfulness. That is why you are put into Christ. And, and we, we said this last week as well, right? Maybe perhaps the challenge that you face in the Christian life for assurance comes from maybe asking the wrong question. I would challenge you that you, you shouldn't be saying, okay, where is my fruit, as much as you should be saying, hey, am I rightly relating to Jesus? Am I rightly connected to Jesus like a branch is connected to the vine? How, what does it mean to be rightly related to Jesus? We, we talked about this in relation to Luke uh, 9.23. Remember, Jesus defines disciples this way. Disciples are those who renounce their way and they renounce their work and they follow me, right? They, they, they do not care about about being Lord of their life anymore. They say, you are Lord of my life. And they also don't come to Jesus saying, hey, look at all the things that I have done. You must be impressed and pleased with me. You must love to call me um, your, your branch. No, they, they come to Christ saying, you are everything. I am nothing. I renounce all of my good works and I trust in your good works alone. That is what a believer does. That's how a believer connects to Jesus. That's how a believer is rightly connected, related to Jesus. And, and we saw here, this is a picture of sweet dependency, isn't it, right? You depend on Jesus for everything. He is your Lord. He is your righteousness before God. He is, he is everything through which God's good blessings come into your life. There is sweet dependency, just like a branch has sweet dependency in the vine. A branch has a singular purpose. A branch has simple, uh, simple dependency. And then this is Jesus saying basically this one word, abide in me, right? That is the, that is the command. This is the, this is the description of what it means to be a Christian. It means you abide in Christ Jesus. It means you continue to hold fast to his love and it means you continue to hold fast to his word and obey him, right? I'm depending on his love. And I'm depending on his word. He is Lord, and I'm trusting in him. This is what he says in, in verse 9 and 10, is it not? By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Then verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. There is love for Jesus, and there is obedience unto Jesus. That is what it looks like to have sweet dependency, right? You trust in him for everything. 
And all this is, is saying, the first thing we learn about assurance is it all depends on where you are positioned. Are you in Christ or are you in yourself? Are you, are you trusting in Christ's work or are you trusting in your own? Are you Lord of your life or is Christ Lord of your life? That is the beginning of assurance in your life. But what else does uh, John 15 tell us, show us? What other lessons do we learn about assurance from this passage? Now, the second thing I would want you to learn here is that not only must you be rightly positioned, but you also must be pruned. Pruned. You must, you must have some pain in your life if you are going to have assurance in your life. This is not a pleasant picture that we like to think about. I mean, do you really want assurance in your life? Are you, are you ready to ask for assurance of your salvation in your life? Get ready. Trials and troubles are coming for you. That's a really fun message, isn't it? But this is where assurance comes from. Notice verse 2 and verse 3, right? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do with the fruitful branches? He prunes. Why? So that they may bear more fruit. The word there, prunes, ESV translates it prunes. LSB, uh, interestingly enough, translates it cleans cleans. It's the same word that Jesus uses in verse 3, actually, to refer to being clean in him. But what is this What is this talking about? What does it mean to be pruned? Well, and maybe not all of you are gardeners by trade. Maybe some of you totally understand this analogy. Some of you don't. But uh, if you have a vine branch, uh, you need to actually remove a lot of the foliage, a lot of the branches, so that some of those branches that are fruit-bearing can bear more fruit. So when you have too many branches on a vine, all of those branches just kind of consume all of the nourishment from the vine, and then they keep the good branches from actually receiving nourishment, and then every branch doesn't produce good fruit. But if you prune the vine, those selected branches produce and are able to produce more fruit. They're cleaned up. They're, 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 they're removed. The, the excess foliage is removed from them. And, and you could probably apply this in your life to basically God saying, listen, you are, you are beginning to bear fruit in the Christian life, but I want you to bear more fruit. That means I need to clean your life of sin, of worldliness, of pride, of anything that is hindering your effectiveness and your fruitfulness in the Christian life. You guys remember the, the letter of 1 John last, uh, it was two Januarys ago, I made you guys read it so many times, right? That is a letter written for what? What's the purpose of 1 John? Anybody? Good, Lily. Uh, it is for assurance. Lily's right on top of it. It is for assurance. The whole letter of 1 John is written for your assurance that you can know that you are the real deal in the Christian life. And, and notice what 1 John warns you of. 1 John two fifteen. right? Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with his desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Notice, key, critical to assurance is, hey, Am I loving the world or the things of the world? And that sometimes God puts troubles into your life so that you love this world less, right? 
so that you're not as attached to this world as you could be. That, that is what sin and worldliness does. It hinders your assurance. And sometimes trials and troubles come your way in, in the form of pruning to help you detach yourself from the love of the world. But I want you to notice the progression here in, in John 15. You must first be in the vine, right? You must first be rightly related to Jesus. And notice, fruit comes. Fruit comes initially in the Christian's life, maybe in small form, but you are fruitful. And then once you are fruitful, notice what Jesus says, those that are fruitful receive this pruning, this cleansing, this cleaning up in their life, right? So, so it's not necessarily, right, you are pruned so that you bear fruit, but according to Jesus, you're already fruitful, and he wants you to be more fruitful, so he begins to cleanse you, to purify you. And this is what we've been learning on Thursday nights, right? Grace isn't just active in your life in making you righteous before God, uh, justifying you in grace, in Christ Jesus alone, by faith alone. Grace is also active in clearing clearing the muck and the mud out of your life. It is continually training you in your life, right? In godliness, in holiness, in zeal for God, in single-minded devotion for God. Grace is all-consuming of your life. It calls you into Christ, and it sanctifies you in Christ as well. It cleans you through and through. Grace is a busy thing in your life. And when you have trials and troubles in your life, if you are a Christian, you can also have hope that God is going to use this, perhaps, to even sanctify you, to make you more like Christ. And that is a great assurance in trouble that the believer can have. But I want you to remember this. That is only an assurance that a believer can have. That is only the assurance that someone who confesses Christ as Lord and Savior can have. The world can't say, the, 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 the person who doesn't believe in God can't say, well, God is using this trial in my life to make me better. No, he's not. This is only something that God does for the believer. What does it mean to be pruned? What does it mean to be pruned? Like I said, verse 3, Jesus refers to it the same word, to be cleaned. And he, he refers to all believers that are in him to have this initial cleansing in verse 3. And then that initial cleansing leads to ongoing cleansing. That's sanctification and justification, two things going on right there. How, how does God prune you? How does God sharpen you? How does God sanctify you? Well, I've kind of already mentioned it. Yes, in, in one sense, right, he, he sanctifies you, he prunes you, he does all this to give you assurance through trials and troubles and testings in your life, right? We, we know that to be the case. Boy, do we know that to be the case. Uh, Romans 5, for example, uh, uh, verse 13, uh, verse, uh, Romans 5, verse 3, pardon me, uh, Paul rejoices in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he says not only that, not only do we rejoice in being justified by faith, we can also rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us, right? We, we can rejoice we can have hope in even trials and troubles because we believe that God is working in us 
through these trials and troubles. And that reminds us also of the letter to James, right? Where he, he says the most extraordinary thing. Rejoice. Rejoice in every trial, every trouble, every problem, because you know that trials are working in you. He says, verse 2 of chapter 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, because you know that this is doing something in your life because you are in Christ Jesus. Once again, the unbeliever can't say that. The unbeliever has no hope in trial. They are just in a cruel world that is impacted by the corruption of sin, and they're experiencing that corruption as well. But the believer can rejoice. The believer can have hope even in suffering because they know that God is working on them in their suffering. That's wonderful news, isn't it? That's incredible news, right? My world is always defined by my relationship to Christ. My life is always defined, first and foremost, by who I am in Christ. That, that is how I understand everything that happens to me. And I can have hope and I can have joy. But, okay, go back to John 15 if you've at all left. But I want you to notice something. Yes, God sanctifies and prunes us. Prunes us in trials and troubles. But did you notice that there's only one instrument of pruning mentioned in our passage? And it's not actually trials and trouble. We, we had to go to Romans to see that. We had to go to James to see that. What does is, what is John 15 actually tell us about what cleanses us? Well, he, he said in verse 2, right, he, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And then notice, he uses the same word, verse 3, if, you, if you're in the LSB, you see this much clearer, already you are clean, already you are pruned because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, right? Already you are pruned by the word that I have spoken to you. Notice, believers are cleansed not just because of their circumstances, but because of what God's Word does inside of us in our circumstances. What cleanses a believer? It is God's Word. It's not the trials themselves. It's not the suffering itself that is cleansing, that is sanctifying. Otherwise, the whole entire world should be sanctified, right? No, it is God's work cleansing you from the inside in your troubles. That is the true pruning shear that God uses to clear your life. It's, it's, God's, it's God's word. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Ephesians 5, 25, 26, uh, the metaphor of, of Christ and the church as the bride and the groom. Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her that he might cleanse her, having washed, washed, um, having washed her by the washing of water with the word. Here we see, just like in John 15, right? There's an order, right? He, he gives himself up for the church, but that puts the church into a new relationship with Jesus, and that relationship is one which is him continually, intentionally cleansing her, sanctifying her through his word. Christ's aim in your life is to cleanse you, and he uses his word to do it. So think about this. It is through God's word in your trials 
in your troubles, in your sufferings, that God prunes your life and creates a life that is more fruitful for him. So what should your go-to action be when life is rough? Should you just say, I know God is working on me in this, so I'm just going to bear it and endure it, and on the other end, voila, it'll be magic. No. Think about this. This is just a sweet truth, a sweet application into your life that if you get this, it'll change the rest of your life, right? When life is hard, when trials and testing comes your way, you need to make a beeline for God's word and meditate on it continually, pray about it, say, Lord, how can I grow? Where are, where are my weaknesses right now that, that you are even using this trial to uh, expose in me? R- root out the sin. Increase the Christ-likeness. Cause me to be a more and more fruitful branch. Uh, make the result of this terrible time Sweet assurance in you. Uh, That's what the Christian has to do. That is what the Christian must do in their difficult seasons. They go to God's word. They go to God's word and they are cleansed by it. Here, uh, uh, a prolonged illustration of this. There you go. This is what this is. This is just a a really long illustration because this is very significant. Turn over to Psalm 119. Turn over to Psalm 119. You know the psalm very well. It is the psalm of the man that loves God's word, right? God's word is the meditation of his heart day and night. He he wants more of God's word. He he, he longs for it. He, he He can tell you about the benefits of God's word. He's rejoicing in God's word. He can't get enough of God's word. And so he is writing this this very beautiful psalm. That is really the, the, the love of God's word in the life. But what is the setting of this psalm? What is the context of this psalm? Where is this psalmist when he is writing about his love for God's word? His eagerness for God's word. Is he, is he, in, uh, is he, is he in the glorious, glorious days of summer vacation where everything is well? Is he, is he at summer camp where everything is happy and his, his heart is full and he wants to read God's word because everybody's reading God's word, right? Is that the setting of this psalm? No, and this is very important. The setting of this psalm is intense suffering and affliction. And this psalmist is illustrating for you what you do when your life is rough. You seek God's word. You seek its cleansing power. You seek its transforming power when you are in severe affliction. For example, notice where he's at. Verse 85. The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. Or go over to... Uh, verse 107. 107. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Or go over to 161. Princes persecute me without cause. See what's happening there? Powerful people. 
powerful forces are against him. And notice, what are these forces? These are, these are forces that do not love God's word. These are forces that are opposed to God's word in his life, and they are causing him to be severely, severely afflicted. But there is a good work. There is a good work that is happening inside this psalmist's affliction. Turn over to 67. Turn over to 67. Verse 67, not Psalm 67. Notice what he says. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Before he was afflicted, life was easy. And what was he doing? He was getting lost, going astray, not taking sin very seriously in his life, right? And, and matter of fact, the, the verb tense there is, before I was afflicted, I was going astray continually. It was a habit of his life. But now I keep your word. And notice what he says in verse 71 too, right? It is good for me that I was afflicted. He can actually look on his afflictions now and say, it was good. I thank the Lord for every little affliction in my life. It was good. Why was it good? Second half of verse 71, that I might learn your statutes. That I might learn your statutes. This affliction, this trouble has awakened me to my spiritual laziness and slumber. This affliction has caused me to go after God's Word and God's Word alone. I am am cut free of my love for this world because I've seen how undependable this world is. No longer hope in this world like I used to. I see its evil and its difficulty and its trouble. And I have gone to God's word and found great joy and hope and peace. What a wonderful thought. Now let me be clear here. As you turn back to John 15, not all trials and troubles in your life are because you are in sin. Let me be very, very clear about that. Not all trials, troubles, sufferings that you experience in your life is because of sin um, of the volitional kind in your life because you have chosen to you know, rebel against God in some way because you are spiritually lazy. That's not always why trials and troubles come your way. But in every trial, in every trouble, in every suffering, there is an opportunity before you that God wants to work in you to sanctify you and cleanse you, that you can bear more fruit. And by bearing fruit, have sweet assurance and great joy in Christ. And so, so here's, here's an application for you. Don't waste any trial, right? Don't waste any moment of testing. Don't waste any suffering. Go to God's Word for cleansing from within comes from God's Word. Transformation from within is the result of God's word in your life. And God wants to use his word 
to clean you in that very moment of trial and trouble. And here's the biggie, right? Assurance, assurance of salvation comes from this kind of response. This kind of response to trouble. Fruit comes from this kind of response to trouble. Joy comes from this kind of response to trouble. Pruning, going after God's word. Uh, Assurance, number one, comes from where you are positioned. Assurance comes from how God's word cleans you throughout this life. Another thing, another lesson we should learn about assurance from this passage. Not only must you be rightly positioned, you must be pruned, but also you must pray. You must pray. Now this seems a little bit uh, you know, out of left field, so to speak. doesn't seem to totally make sense. Let me, let me try to show this to you back in John 15. What is the fruit God is after in your life? What is, what is the exact fruit that brings assurance of your salvation to you? We already kind of hinted at it a little bit, right? John has, has in this immediate context, kind of uh, articulated, explained what assurance of salvation looks like. He's also said what kind of fruit God is looking for in your life. In John 15, 10, obedience to Christ's command is a fruit that God wants to work in your life. And increasing fruitfulness would look like continued obedience to Christ's command. Better obedience to Christ. Deeper obedience to Christ. Joyful obedience to Christ. Faithful obedience to Christ. Uh, John 15 verse 10 says this, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Right? That is what it looks like to abide in Christ and abide in his love. Obedience. Obedience. This is the fruit that God's after in all of his people, but also he's looking for love. Love for God, yes, but also, notice, love for others as well. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Notice, obedience and loving others. They go hand in hand. This is another fruit of Christ-likeness in your life. This is another evidence that the Holy Spirit is in operation clearly in your life. You love others sacrificially. Also, you are a witness to the watching, hating world. You don't fit in. You stand out. They recognize Christ-likeness in you, and they don't like Christ, and that causes them to hate and be irritated with you. Verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If you keep my word, they will also keep... If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. Notice that, right? You are a witness. You are a a witness of Christ's likeness, and because of that, they're going to hate you because they hated him. So what do we have here? We have obedience to Christ. We have love for others. We have a witness, an evident Christ-likeness that people cannot escape about you. You will bear witness, he says in verse uh, 27. You will bear witness of me. 
because you have been with me from the beginning. Right? But how does Jesus call you to this kind of fruitfulness? How does, how does Jesus explain how this fruitfulness is produced in your life? He does. And notice here at verse 7. If you abide in me. First off, you need to be rightly positioned, right? And then second, and my word abides in you. You need to have Christ's cleansing word in your life. Rightly positioned, Christ's cleansing word. But then notice also number three, verse seven, if these two things are true, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Prayer. Prayer is a part of fruitfulness in your life. And this only comes from being rightly positioned and having God's word saturating your life. You must be in Christ. You must be sanctified. But notice, the fruitfulness of the Christian life comes to you in answer to prayer. All of those fruits are through prayer. Isn't that amazing? God wants you to pray for the increase of Christ-likeness in your life. God wants you to pray word-saturated prayers that are analyzing your own heart and testing your own convictions by the Word of God, but also word-saturated prayers that are seeking the fruits of Christ in your life. And God wants to answer these prayers with fruitfulness in you. Why? Verse 11, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, that you have assurance. Or, as it says in verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear fruit. By what? By receiving the answers to the word-saturated prayers that you pray. By this my Father is glorified. Your fruitfulness is the Father's glory that you bear much fruit, he says in verse 8, and so prove to be my disciples. God wants your fruitfulness because in your fruitfulness is Christ's likeness, and in Christ's likeness is God's glory. So notice, this isn't just prayers for whatever you feel like having right now. This is prayer that is seeking Christ's likeness and Christ's will in your Life. It is a prayer that says, Lord, change my heart. Change my heart to be less like it was and more like yours and more like you want it to be and more informed by your word. This is a prayer that's, Lord, purify my love for others. Take away my prejudices and take away my irritations in other people and have a genuine love and kindness for other people, particularly Christians in my life. This is, Lord, make my life more like Christ's. This is a prayer, look at that, this is a prayer that God will answer. This is a prayer that God wants to answer. This is a prayer that God is excited and eager to answer. An assurance of your salvation actually comes from praying this way. Right? Your joy is full. God is glorified. Let me give you one more thing. One more thing that I think is important for assurance. One more lesson that we learn from this passage that is assuring. Very assuring. Uh, You must be rightly positioned. You must be pruned. You must pray. But you must also be picked. You must also be picked. This is ultimate assurance, by the way. 
Ultimately, you didn't choose Christ. Ultimately, you didn't decide to put yourself in the vine. Ultimately, if it depended on you, you would be a branch thrown away. But ultimately, in God's loving kindness and grace, you were chosen. And, and remember what we said this looks like. What, what does it look like to be someone who has been chosen by God? It means you come to Jesus. Chapter 6, verse 37, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. You come to Jesus as uh, with a sincere belief that he is everything and you are nothing, and you need his righteousness in your life, and you want to obey him and no one else. And that is an evidence that you have been chosen, that you have been picked. It's not on you. Ultimate assurance is actually based in the whole triune character and love and grace and activity of God. The Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And now in your life, Christ is not hesitant to have you. Christ is eager to see you pruned and cleansed through his word. The Father is not looking at you with suspicion. The Father is eager to prune you and cleanse you. The Spirit is not hesitant to produce fruit in your life. The Spirit is eager to produce Christ-likeness in you. And that causes great assurance, because you are not alone. Because you are not alone. Look at what he says in 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Sound familiar? Yeah. John likes to repeat himself, right? All of this, this assurance of salvation that comes through prayer, that it comes as a result of testing and trials, that comes because you're in Christ, all of this is rooted in the true belief that he has chosen me. And those whom, as it says in Romans, God has chosen in this way, have great assurance of salvation. Uh, Romans 8 says this, 31, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Nothing. Right? Those questions that uh, that, uh, Paul asks there at the end of Romans 8 are ludicrous questions. If God has done this, nothing can separate you. Uh, The ultimate assurance in your life is, I've been chosen by God, and I can be assured that he will bring trials and troubles into my life for my cleansing, because he is after one thing, and that is my fruitfulness. And what is my fruitfulness? My Christ-likeness. That's a great assurance. Great assurance. A summary, just a final applications, two applications that I thought of while I was preparing this, that I really want to make sure you all hear. Number one, Don't waste trials. Don't waste troubles. Don't waste difficulties. If your life is heavy, lean into God's word right where you're at. Memorize God's word before trouble, during trouble, after trouble, and think about it. And then pray pray prayers of sanctification. Pray prayers for sanctification in your life. 
Don't pray prayers based on how you feel. Pray prayers of introspection based on what God's word says in those times. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for this passage, this great assurance that we have in your cleansing power for for our fruitfulness, for our joy, for our assurance, and for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.